you're listening to this, you're a mortgage professional who's probably wanting to scale your business. After 12 years of being in the trenches as a mortgage pro and nearly 180 interviews with top-performing loan officers and mortgage brokers, I've distilled the best ideas, strategies, and tactics into an eight-week program called the $25 million Blueprint. If you're wanting to take your business from $10 million a year to 20, or if you want to go from 25 to 50, this is the program that will help you scale. Step-by-step, we're going to show you exactly what the pros have done so that you can get there too. Go to mortgageblueprint.io to find out more. That's mortgageblueprint.io. I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 123. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Today on the show, I have Scott Westlake from the Nova Mortgage Group, part of the DLC Network. Scott was a very successful bank specialist who turned to a brokering a couple years ago. He talks about how he gets his inbox to zero. Yes, I've heard of it. Rarely happens for me. He shares his red wine secret and how his office mails out 50 cards a week to past clients, referral sources, and realtors, etc. He's the only bank specialist I've ever spoken to who had four assistants while working at the bank, which is nuts. I've talked to other bank specialists who told me it was impossible or difficult to even get one. So he's applied that same business building mindset to his mortgage business and having tremendous success. You're going to really enjoy this interview. This interview is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when I have a sponsor for the show, it's because I've used their product or service and I can give up my 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I don't actually do B deals. So I decided to do some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West and I found that everyone I talked to said they were fast, down to earth and underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for to be lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they still have money to lend. I've been hearing some lenders are running low on cash, not these guys. If your broker is looking for a B lender for your next deal in BC or Alberta, check out Pioneer West and tell them you heard about them on Isle of Mortgage Brokering. They're great supporters of our community and we've cooked up some pretty cool giveaways inside the Isle of Mortgage Brokering Facebook group. Check them out at pioneerwest.com. Hey Scott, welcome to the show. God, thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me, how did you get into the industry? So what was your path to being a mortgage broker? I saw you in the Young Guns episode and I've heard good things about you from some other people. So I do some background checking on my guests, right? And so uh, they had good things to say. So what was your path to, to our industry? Yeah, I mean, I got into this industry through my mother, which sounds, <laughs> probably sounds pretty funny. So I should elaborate. I was actually on a hockey scholarship at Acadia, Nova Scotia, graduated probably like a lot of people, got my education, I had no clue what I was going to do. I had a ton of family in the banking industry, and I, I kind of thought that would come natural. I loved real estate, but I definitely knew I didn't want to be a real estate agent. Came home from school, uh, got a job at, at RBC uh, as an account manager, was working. And uh, I had a funny story where I was doing mortgages, investments, all kinds of different stuff. And I went to the branch manager and I said, listen, I could sell a lot more if I went out on the street. I got to get out there and, and bring some business in for you guys. And uh, funny enough, they kind of told me, they said, nope, just uh, stay at your desk. Deals will come. And it blew my mind. That was like a, the first revelation of sales where I was kind of like, you want me to sit here and wait for deals? And they're like, yep, just, just stay here. We'll get deals coming to you. And so at that point, I knew that wasn't for me. And I came home and, and told my mother about it. And she happened to be on these trips with my, my father when they were traveling around. And they'd go meet different people in these different conventions. And they met these mortgage specialists that were kind of like the, the upper echelon, I guess the best of the best at the bank at that time. And uh, my mom came home and she told me, she goes, I met these guys and they're amazing. They're, they're doing well. It looks like they're making money. They're smiling. They're having fun. It's in real estate, which I know you love. And and I just kind of got this smile on my face. I said, you know what? I, I really think that might be something I'm good at. I started making some calls. I, I reached out. I, I got a job. 
uh, worked at the bank as a mortgage specialist for. So just for the record, these guys, what do these guys do that your mom? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The guys that they met were all mortgage specialists. So it was kind of like the annual convention, the, the top mortgage specialist across the country would go on a convention and, uh, and she met up with him on this trip and was just, uh, talking to them and getting a feel for what they did and came home and told me about these, these interesting guys and girls that she met and all the successes that they were having. And I said, I've got to get in that job. And so I did. I worked in downtown Toronto, a pretty competitive marketplace, was a mortgage specialist for six or seven years, had uh, a really good introduction to lending and, and networking and uh, meeting new people. And I guess the transition from bank to broker, how that happened was I, I was trying to grow and we were having a lot of success. I brought in a junior partner. I had uh, two other partners or two other associates, I would call them, but they were on my team of four. And we kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I wanted to keep hiring people. And I had that conversation with the bank and they said, that's not kind of what the rule was about. So let me get this right. You had a team of four and you worked for a bank? Yeah, the team of four had it been done. I, you know, so I was a bit of a cowboy. I do a lot of things that I just kind of feel are right to grow business and help customers. And so for me, really, when I grew... It was about customer service. So when I brought in a body, it had nothing to do with sales. I just happened to be getting a lot of business. And I said, you know, to take care of these clients, I need more people. I need more support. I was really, really passionate about making sure my clients were looked after. And uh, I got to four people at the bank and they kind of cut me off and said, that's it. And I couldn't keep up with uh, the volume and the service. And I said, I've got to make a change. And I didn't really know what to do. And then I started looking at the broker channel and I found out that you could not just be a, a broker, but you could manage a team and work with other people. And I said, that's where, that's where I need to be if I'm going to, uh, you know, grow my team and, and take care of more clients and provide the level of customer service I think my clients need. So I got to ask what these, what did these four people do for you? Cause even though it was in a different industry, I know I've talked to other mortgage specialists and it's pretty limited in terms of what your help yeah. typically is allowed to do. So what kind of things? How did you yeah. create so much work for them or so many different things that you had four people busy, kept them busy? So I always was, I always have figured this job is about sales. I never really did uh, the underwriting or fulfillment aspect. So, I mean, I, I really didn't even know how to pull a credit bureau and load an application for many years when I was at the bank. I really just brought in the deals. I managed relationships well. I took on a lot of meetings and I just kept bringing in deals. And so uh, I had a mentor at the time, another mortgage specialist, and he told me that I should should hire uh, an associate and, and get someone to work on on the deal itself from A to Z. And so I did that. I hired one and I kind of would fill their bucket with deals and they would manage uh, part of the client relationship. I'd kind of manage a lot of the beginning stages. And I was there throughout the whole process and I was there post-funding as well. But I spent a lot more time lead generation than I did being involved in the deal. And so, I mean, the key there is communication. I really just explained to my clients, you know, what I did and what my team did. And I brought in one associate and then you know she kind of got overwhelmed and so I brought in two and then I found that as an associate they had limited roles in terms of what they could do and say and how they could interact and meet clients they were kind of you know back office so then I brought in a junior partner which was allowed to meet clients and shake hands and, and do a little bit more work and so we had this happy-go-lucky team of four that hadn't been done before at the bank and we created our own system and at one point we we looked at 200 Bay Street which is uh was the main office at the time and we saw one of the offices on the top floor and we said that's what we want we want to have a a mortgage team in there you know 20 30 40 50 people as many as we can do and that's kind of where they're like whoa, whoa stop you're this you're not this is not how we roll 
Yeah, they're like, no, like you should be just you. We don't even know why we gave you a team to begin with, so or helped you with a team. So, so everything kind of fell apart then. And, and honestly, it was customer service. We had a hard time managing up with all the the business we were getting. And part of that was the institution. They had a good name and a good brand, and they were bringing deals too. So it wasn't all credit to ourselves. We had a lot of really good people uh, supporting us at different branches and different locations, which was part of the advantage of being in the space at that time. So, so yeah, we just got big, and and they said this isn't how we we do it, and we said okay, we gotta. We got to move because we didn't want to slow down. I mean, once you achieve one goal, you want to go to the next, or at least that's my personality. So we kept uh, we kept moving, and we ended up in the broker channel. Right. So okay, apart from obviously, there was a period of time. I don't know if it's still the case where if you worked at a, for a as a mortgage specialist, you could get deals from your branch. I think that is less less often now, or maybe I'm wrong. And then, so where did you get so many deals? How did you manage in such a short period of time to require basically four assistants to help you? Yeah, so I mean, we went into uh, we went in and, and, and we networked within the, the bank. We went in and we talked to all the people there, and we found out what they were having a hard time doing, how we can make their life better. <laughs> we just did typical business moves. I mean, it wasn't mortgage related. I'd go into a branch and say, you know, we're going to book more business, but you need to send us more deals. And we started making all these arrangements where we would uh, kind of help each other out. It was just kind of like what any person would do in any any business. You say, I'll help you out, and you help me out, and it worked with with you know a branch manager. Then we'd work with another branch manager. Then it would work with an investment advisor. Then we'd take it to private banking. Then we'd take it to commercial lending. Then we'd take it to our realtors, and we just kept expanding. And the same conversation kept leading to more business. And so it just it just kept growing, and, and then it stopped because <laughs> we couldn't do it anymore. Right. So you really look for win win. So in all these different relationships, you were like, hey, because everybody, especially in the bank, if somebody's most a lot of people from the broker industry are from the banking, but you guys have targets and they have certain. So when you would place loans at their bank or at their branch or the location, that would be a benefit to them, right? Yeah, we'd ask for it back. We'd say, we're going to book. I mean, I don't remember the exact numbers, but we'd say, we're going to do 30 million at this branch location. But for 30 million, we expect, you know, 10 million back. And then that's how we got to 40. And they'd say, okay. And then we do that at another location. So we were also hunters and gatherers. We also were involved in pre-sale condo development, which we're not doing uh, much here in the broker channel. But we did a lot of projects where we managed, uh, we'd get hundreds of purchase agreements at a time. And that was, uh, a lot of that was our own relationships and we managed clients, you know, from pre-sale through, you know, three, four years of development all the way to closing. And we had a pretty good system in place there. So a lot of the top producers that I was working with, including myself, uh, had their hands involved in the whole pre-sale condo development boom. So if you weren't doing that, you know, resale was a great way to do business. But I mean, we could drop 30, 40 million on the books in a month if we had a condo closing. So, you know, if you could put a couple condos, you know, on your portfolio every other year, it was going to be a pretty good year along with your resale business. Right. That's awesome. And so then when obviously making the change from being at the bank to brokering, there's a, there's a bit of risk there because some of the products are different, like those longer term rate holds and stuff that RBC would do. What kind of transitions or changes did you make now that you're brokering versus when you're now at the bank? Yeah, I mean, I mean, leaving the bank, I mean, one, we gave up any leads we we're getting. I mean, that's a lot harder to do in the broker community. We still get some because we've got lasting relationships like everybody does when you build true, genuine relationships. Um, but we lost some deals there. We don't do the pre-sale condo development, so it was a big part of our business. But we found in the broker channel, you could offer your clients a lot more in terms of choice. I'm a big advocate for choice and giving your consumers more selection. And so it was really just kind of changing our focus and saying that we're not going to be doing pre-sale condo development we're not going to be getting leads from the bank, but we are going to be out there telling consumers that we can do a lot more. We're going to give them better education. We're going to offer them different products and services. We're not just selling one product. We're going to be introducing them to multiple different lenders. So I think that actually worked really well. It was just a change of focus and a change of education and all the same 
partners that supported us before, supporters in the broker channel. And we found that we didn't have to do as much to have similar levels of success financially, and we were enjoying it a lot more. So the transition was definitely challenging. We have our ups and downs and failures like like everybody, but we've had a lot of success in, in the broker channel by shifting our focus. And I guess on top of that, we hired agents. We didn't, I never had really agents working with me before. And I, I actually call agents partners as well because they're part of the team. So you mentioned something about failure. So one of the things I love asking people is about their failures. I know that for me, that looking back, it happens. But when you look back, there's always a lesson in it. So can you think of something that you'd failed at? But now that you look back, there was a lesson in it for you? Yeah, I mean, we, we failed a lot, right? And that's why I think we're successful. If you're not failing, you're not growing. Change is always good. So, I mean, if I've got a couple. I'll just from the sake of education, I'll give you a few. I mean, the first one was doing too much business without enough supportive infrastructure. I'm a big fan of systems infrastructure. And when we started, we had a laptop. We didn't really know exactly what we were doing. The education probably wasn't there, but you know, we knew how to sell, but we didn't know how to get these deals done. So we lost relationships. I lost a few friends and a few deals uh, and a few contacts in my first few deals, uh, my first few you know, months, probably six months. And that was me being aggressive, trying to do sales and forgetting the human element that goes into some of these real estate trends or all these real estate trends. So were you talking about when you transitioned to brokering or was that when you transitioned to being a mortgage specialist? Yeah, I transitioned to being a mortgage specialist. We didn't have the infrastructure there because it wasn't really there. When we transitioned to the broker channel, we didn't make that mistake. We had the infrastructure. We were able to hire and bring in people as we may. So we really didn't feel that pain. But that was my first big mistake in terms of lending, so forget brokering, was at the bank. In terms of the brokering, the advice I took for myself and I give to others. If you're going to do a lot of business and you want to grow, you need to make sure you have that proper infrastructure in place. Mm -hmm. Another failure we had or I've had was spending money in the wrong places. Uh, I've got a saying that I use right now and that's that I invest in people and not marketing. If you ever see an ad with, with me or our company in it, it's usually because we know them and they put us in there for free. We're not a big fan of spending money on marketing. That's not to say People aren't having success because you and I both know there's a ton of people having success with marketing and all mm -hmm. leads and, and, and hubs and all this kind of stuff. That's just not me. I prefer to take that money and invest it into long-lasting relationships. And that's kind of really, if you dig deep down, um, what's given me all of my success is what, I, what I'm willing to invest in somebody else's is what I'm getting out of this industry. And then too many appointments. I, I decline more appointments than I take. I used to take every appointment. I meet every realtor. I meet every business person. I met every client. And I spent a lot of time in meetings and not a lot of time you know, doing things that I think were actually generating you know, revenue or profit or customer satisfaction. You know, I wasn't doing any of those things. I was just taking appointments for the sake of taking them. So that's completely changed. And now I only take appointments if they're meaningful. I ask, why are we doing this meeting? What it's about and whether that's a client or it's a, a new contact, it really has to be for the right purpose for me to be in that meeting. So that's, that was a big one for me as well. Everything has to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I'm going to go back to one thing you mentioned about spending on people instead of marketing. So can you give me an example of how specifically – are you talking about these are centers of influence? Like yeah. what, what kind of things do you are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm all, I'll meet anyone. I, I just talked about how I don't like to do a ton of appointments, but I'll invest money and I'll, I'll meet people. I will anything to do with charitable organizations, which I'm a big fan of giving back. Um, there's a lot of great causes out there that I'll put money at. I'd rather put money at a, at a good cause and meet some good contacts and throwing that towards you know an ad in the paper or a magazine. I like taking out agents for a coffee, talk to them about what they're struggling with, how we can help them. I like meeting realtors and finding out you know what's working for them and what's not. So it's really just taking that capital of you. To 
to you know treat your money not as income but as revenue and say you know for X amount of revenue I'm going to put a percentage of that back into my business. The big percentage of I'm putting that back into my business isn't really necessarily marketing. I'm taking that money and I'm allocating it to people, and then I'm looking at the people that are supporting me and I'm giving them the majority for whatever they need, whether it's their business or their charitable cause or their family. I'll, I'll invest in them, and then I take a small percentage of that and I'll invest it in in new people in in taking the time to meet someone new and find out what I can do to make our relationship grow and flourish and not just be a quick conversation, but a long-term relationship. And that, that's where I'm going to allocate my capital today and, and probably most likely moving forward. Mm-hmm. So that's inter- I totally agree with, in terms of investing in your database. So can you, what kind of other things do you do with your database or with your past clients that has been successful? Do you have anything sort of, cause you sound like a systematic kind of guy. So is there anything that you've kind of set up systematically that, that you do consistently, or is it sort of just when you book meetings? No, no, I'm all systems. Like my, my theory on systems is this: is if you do something and it works, keep keep doing it. <laughs> like you know, or, or or a system around it and make it more efficient because you know time is so precious and we don't have a lot of it. So the only thing you can do when you don't have enough time is create a more a better system or a more efficient system or, or bring in more bodies, right? So. Uh, an example that I'll give you guys that I wouldn't, I don't share <laughs> with my wife, although she probably knows by now, is I've got this red wine secret. So I had a wine cellar and I love red wine and I started off sending clients bottles of red wine. So I'd buy a case of wine, I'd keep a bottle or two for myself and I'd write down on the, on the label um, every client that I sent it to and then I'd send the wine out to all my clients. And so it was a way that I could get back and say, thanks for doing a deal with me or thanks for meeting me or whatever the occasion might be. It's not just clients, but for partners and people I work with. I got to stick a couple in my wine cellar, which is how it got so big. And then at some point in time, whether it's a year later, or a week later, or you know, five years later, I'm going to drink it. And when I look at it, it remembers, it recalls that I, I gave that bottle to, to people. And then I shoot them a text. I get them a call. I'm like, hey, did you have that wine? Did you enjoy it? And it's just, a, it's another point of contact, just like CRM, but it's a little bit more personal. It's something that I'm passionate about. And so it was something that, that, that worked when I did my first case and then I did my second. And then that's something that has evolved into uh, a bit about who I am. I, I shoot out this red wine to a whole bunch of people in the community and, uh, and drink a little bit of it myself. And then you also follow up with them. I guess that's the key, right? So you, you, not only do you do the night, you do the gift, but then it's, do you follow up with all of them or just sort of when the mood strikes? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more of a mood thing. I mean, typically I'm pretty good with following up my clients. I mean, in terms of, you know, CRM, which I think, you know, brokers usually do a pretty poor job at, and that's because they try to reinvent the wheel. My theory on, on CRM is, you know, pretty much Nike, just do it. <laughs> you know, I don't care what it, I don't care what it is, just get it out there. I mean, I use DLC CRM, which is, you know, birthdays, you know, closing note, uh, monthly newsletter. It's, it's electronic, whether it's the best or worst, I, I don't know. I don't really care. It's something which is better than what I think most people do. And then on top of that, I try to complement uh, special occasions and things I do with my clients or certain deals with, with the wine or with a personal card. My, my wife actually started sending out 50 cards a week for me this last year. And uh, we touch base with existing clients. We go all the way back to even my bank clients. We go back to houses that are for sale in the marketplace. We sometimes use Terranet. We'll find out uh, mortgages coming for renewal. We just kind of commit to sending out 50 cards a week, which is a couple thousand a year. And so, you know, again, we sent out 10 cards. We got one phone call. We sent out 20 cards. We got two phone calls. We sent out 100 cards. You know, we got 30 calls, whatever it was, you know, and it just worked out. And so we said, well, we'll just do a couple thousand a year. And we get a lot of calls and a lot of deals. And and it's just a system. We put a system around something that works. Right. And and consistent is key because, like you said, if it works, just keep doing it. 
is one of the quotes I was going to tell you. I've got a few for you, but one of them was keep it simple, keep it consistent, right? And, um, and I love that one. It's simple, which I love, and it's consistent. And I mean, if you, you do that, you're going to have some success. Right. That's perfect. I love it. So I'm, I'm going to ask you some uh, rapid fire questions. So what do you think is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful? You know what? I've heard this uh, before, but I have to say themselves. I listened mm-hmm. to a few podcasts recently, but I mean, everyone can do more. I can, I can do more. We can all do more. We can all create better systems. We can all become more efficient. So, uh, I mean, I just got to say it themselves. You can always do a bit better job. So just dig down deep and, and do a bit better and uh, you'll see some good results. And then what one thing or habit you think's made you successful? The number one thing that's made me successful would probably be working on the business, not working in the business. So, you, you know, I'm sure everyone's read that somewhere before, but I've kind of held that to heart. I, I spend a lot of time working on the business. So I, I attribute success to when my deals are getting funded, I'm already working on new ones. Not to say that we're not taking care of the existing clients, but we're always looking for new business. or we're always trying to find ways to help people on our team. So we're consistently working on the business and doing things that would help us grow as opposed to just always being inside the business, which I think would have been the biggest transition in my career from when I started, which was, I was, you know, I was doing every deal. I was inside every deal. And, and when you make that mental shift, it's amazing the the changes that can happen in your career. I love that, that phrase work on the business, not in the business. I think it's from Michael Gerber and the e-myth. And so can you think of when do do you set schedule time to do that? Or like, how are you, because I know that when you start to get busy and things get hectic, like how are you finding time to do it? Okay, so the first one, I mean, my dad gave me the best advice ever, which was he talked about block time. So back when he was doing insurance sales as a kid, and he ended up becoming a pretty big insurance guy, he blocked time. So it's important, whether it's for family, whether it's for friends, whether it's for business, whether it's for agents, whether it's for lead generation. I'm a big advocate of blocking time. If you sit there and look at your email all day long and wait for text messages and just answer your call, you're going to be working in the business. You're going to be at the beck and call of whoever is trying to get your attention, which I refuse to do. I, I want to gain attention. I don't want to be the subject of somebody else's attention. So to do that, you know, something I've done for the last seven, eight, nine years is every Monday I call uh, my centers of influence my COIs. And I've, I've done this every Monday for a long time. You can ask anyone that, that uh, sends me business. And so it doesn't have to be everybody, but I'll, I'll block off Monday morning. I'll do, you know, catch up on my emails right when I wake up, have a coffee. And then I go right into my calling my contacts. And it might be realtors one week. The next week might be financial planners. The following one might be funded clients, but I've got a pretty good regimen of like a three or four different categories of people that I should be calling every week. And I call them. I leave a lot of voicemails. I catch some people live. The people I catch live, I ask for business, but it's, it's a regimen. I block that time. I don't care if I'm getting an email. I don't care if I'm getting a phone call. I'm fortunate enough. I've built a, a team of people around me that, you know, can handle some of that other noise that's out there in terms of something happening with a deal and everyone's going to have a fire here or there. But you know, if you spend too much time in the business, you're always going to have problems. And so you got to block that time, focus on, on a new task. And, and I do that. And so that's just one example. I probably block, you know, numerous hours of time throughout the week for, you know, customer follow-up for completing my emails. In fact, in terms of emails, I never have an email in my inbox at the end of the week. In fact, most days I don't have an email in my inbox by the end of the day. If I get an email, I read it, I decision it, and I move on with my life. I don't, I don't flag them. I don't hold them for two weeks. I don't have 300 in my inbox. I, I decision it. I put it in a folder if I need to keep it. If I don't need to keep it, I delete it, and I move on with my life. <laughs> okay, that, this, is, this is good. There's so much good stuff here that I could ask you about, but 
the in inbox zeros what you're talking about which i think i have seen once like about six years ago there's a very <laughs> brief period when I, I don't know what happened but when you say you decision it so what what are you doing with it at that point email comes in if it, let's say it's a past client saying hey i want to change my payment what do you do with that yeah so again that's that's systems we talked about so that fall into the systems category for me where i i would have uh, i've got the support where, where someone will help me with that and again not everyone has that so this conversation and these conversations on these podcasts sometimes are directed towards different people in different stages of their career which I can appreciate. Um, so for me, I'm at a stage where I'm not going to deal with client payments. Not because I don't want to. I love my clients and I, I would do that. But if I'm doing them injustice and my other clients, if that's where I'm allocating my time. So for example, depending upon what the email is or what the phone call is, I will put it in the hands best fit. So if I have an associate or two or three of the people that can handle that, if it's something I can deal with on my own, I certainly will at that moment. If it's a, a question I can respond to and delete that email, I'm, I'm doing that for sure. And and I find that by the you know each day I've got one or two that I flag and I you know, I struggle with. There could be issues popping up. There could be something I don't know how to address. But I I try to quickly as possible eliminate that flag and, and get it out of my inbox and deal with it before the, the end of the week. That's the goal I set for myself. And I've like we talked about failures. I failed on that. I've had emails more emails in my inbox. But yeah, it's creating a system and saying whether it's a client follow up, it's a new lead generation, it's it's a, an agent on your team. It's a family member. It's better to deal with it. And, and if you can't deal with it or you're not the person to give it to the person that is and to make a, a call on, on how to handle it and, and move on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the folder system you use, so what kind of places are you putting some of these? Let's say if it's something you can't do right away because it takes a bit of time. What are you yep. doing with those types of emails? I have a lot of folders, so my email probably looks cryptic to a lot of people. I, I I remember Dustin Woodhouse talking about his Excel and how it would be cryptic for anyone else to read it, and I kind of giggled when I heard that, and I, I would say that my inbox is probably his Excel. It's not the cleanest, it's not the nicest, but it works for me. And so, you know, I put everything in there. If I think that I should be following up with you for new business generation, I'll put you in like a COI folder. If it's a new lead, it's in a new lead folder. If it's a pre-approval, it's in a pre-approval folder. If I take my client from pre-approval through approval through funded, it goes through that system in my inbox. Uh, if it's a, if, if there's a complaint, we all have them. There's, there's a complaint folder. There's a resolution folder. There's a lender folder. So I'm very organized in just, I decision it. I move it to the appropriate folder and I move on with my life. And I try to go generate more business or take care of the agents and people on my team and just make sure that we're all happy. And if I can't deal with it, I flag it. And my commitment to myself, which doesn't always work, is I'll deal with it before Friday. And uh, sometimes it's a tough phone call. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's passing it on to someone else. But the key is communication and decisioning it. And, and I do that every week. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Okay, so what you said that when you do your center of influence calls, you're always asking for business. So how do you what what do you say to them? So it's like. Hey, it's Scott calling. How's how's life? How are things? Like, what what type of things are you saying? I mean, it depends, right? I mean, the guys I know well, they kind of you know, they kind of joke when I call them on a Monday. They, they, they probably a few of them probably know my call. They call, like, oh, man, Scott's still calling me. And uh, but I call them. And I just see you know, some guys that just say, "Hey, what's up? Uh, how was your weekend? What you know? What are you doing with the kids, the family? You know, keep me in mind if you need anything this week." And so it's a simple. You know, how's your golf game? Make fun of each other and have some fun. And those are the great calls. You got a few that are kind of more prospect calls where it's, you know, hey, we met a few weeks back. I want to take the time to give you a phone call. You know, is there any way we can do business together? A lot of those prospecting calls, I'm a big fan of giving before I receive, which is, you know, just how I was raised. And so I try to find a sticking point in their life. Everyone needs a contact, a name, a 
a ticket to an event. Uh, they need something. And so like, what is it? What's your sticking point? And let me try to find a way to help you um, alleviate that stress. And, and in return, you know, I'm in the mortgage business. I'd like, I'd like some business. It's a, it's a pretty simple call. I think if you do it properly and, you know, you get a lot of voicemails and you send a few emails and it, you know, it's hit and miss, but it's, it's, it's again, keeping it consistent. And, and, you know, you call the same person a few weeks in a row and, and they realize that um, no one else is doing that. And, and I think the fear that I live off of is the fact that if I'm not doing it, someone else is doing it. And at some point, someone's going to do it better than me. So that's the fear that I live in that makes me motivated to do better than somebody else, to know that if you're not calling that person, I probably am. And at some point, I might win them over. And, and that's kind of how the business works. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I, I, I think that's a, it's great advice. And it sounds like exactly what you were doing when you worked at the bank, really. You'd go into the branch and you'd say, hey, how can we help you guys? And then in return, so you're giving first, hey, we're going to give you 30 million. You're going to give us back 10. You're doing the same. You're just doing the same thing. Well, I'll give you a good bank story. So when I was in the bank, they came out to me one time and I was like, hey, I've got some birthday cards. You know, the bank didn't let us use CRM, right? They, you know, they want to control the clients, which is fine. It's technically their client. It's our lead. But that's the, uh, the double-edged sword of working in a, in a big institution. And so I said, hey, I've got some birthday cards to send out. What do I do? And they go, just throw them in the mail. And, you know, naive me coming out of school playing hockey. I'm like, well, how much does it cost? And they're like, it's free. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They're like, yeah, it's free. Just send it whatever you want. So, I mean, that opened up a big can of worms. I sent out like five birthday cards in week one. and week two, I sent out, you know, 100 cards. I was sending out brochures, CMHD pamphlets, first-time homebuyer guides. By, I think, six months in, I, I inundated the branch I was in to the point where the branch manager came to me and said, Scott, like, this has to stop or slow down. So then I cut that in half and I went and made a relationship with another branch and I just to use their mailbox. And I think I had five uh, branches, mailboxes on the go at one point with my, my team, you know, delivering all kinds of collateral to, you know, downtown Toronto. God knows I was a hated individual at that time when I was blasting people's mailboxes, but it worked. And, uh, and it was just another thing I did to try to get some new business. And, and in return, when they said, Hey Scott, like this is too much. I said, but look what I'm doing for you. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they kind of let me keep going for a little bit longer. What book would you recommend for our listeners? Uh, what book? So, I mean, the book that's on my desk uh, right now is the Richard Branson book, The Virgin Way. I love that book. It's just, I love autobiographies. I love reading about other business people, how they succeeded and failed. A book I read, which I'll bleep out part of the title, but I was in St. Bart's on my honeymoon a few weeks back. And I read the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving Enough. And it's one of the more influential books I've had in the world. It's a funny book. It's small. I read it in about uh, two or three hours, and and it's a dangerous title if you take it for what it is. But but what it means, and it really, you can really implement it into your business or mortgage brokering life, is that there's a ton of stuff that you need to care about, and the stuff that you care about, you want to make sure you do it properly and you do it well. But there's a ton of stuff that you probably shouldn't be caring about that you give up way too much about. Mm -hmm. And so when I read that, I took the approach of saying, I'm going to eliminate a bunch of things that aren't that important to me personally. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact my team. It doesn't impact my friends or family. And I'm going to stop caring about those things. And I'm not going to focus my attention on them. But the things I do care about, my family, my friends, the broker community, people on this podcast, you know, the, I, I care about that. And I'm going to focus a lot of attention on it. So that book had a really, uh, a really interesting twist because it's it's it was actually my wife's book and it's really not a type of book i would read but i i twisted it into a way that made sense for me right that's cool okay so the last question remember the movie back to the future mm -hmm. so there's the delorean car you can travel in time so if i could put you in that thing send you back to when you first started as a mortgage broker and you could give yourself three pieces of advice what would you tell yourself 
Okay, so I've listened to you on a few podcasts ask this question. I, and I don't like the question because I believe a little bit in like the butterfly effect. And if I go back and I change something, mm-hmm. then the future's going to change. And I'm pretty damn happy right now. So I, I don't really want to go back and make those changes. But for the sake of education and the sake of this, this podcast, a couple things I would say pretty simple. Choose your partners wisely. And what I mean by that, not just business partners, realtors are your partners, your assistants, if you may, are your partners. You know, there's, there's all these people that I would consider partners in my life and you have to choose them wisely. They can really influence the amount of fun you have in life, how much business you do in life, how much stress you have in life. So if I could go back in time, there's definitely some partners I would have cut out and, and chosen them more strategically. For the sake of education, I would have had a little bit more fun. Um, I have a lot of fun, but there was times I didn't have fun. I got really into the business. I got really stressed out. I got in over my head. I ran into problems. And so I would have just, you know, smiled a little bit more and had a little bit more fun. I probably would have given back a little bit more. It's something I'm a big fan of right now. I try to get back as much as possible. I try to help, uh, you know, anyone I can, you know, when I can. I've got a brother who's uh, the captain of the Canadian Paralympic sledge hockey team. Um, he lost a limb when he was a, a child and uh, has an amazing group of athletes on that hockey team. And um, I support those guys. They're the ones that give me my motiva- motivation. And I, I got a quote actually earlier today from the the you know president of uh, the Hockey Canada Foundation. They were talking about the gold around the leaf on the Canadian hockey jersey. And he says, the gold identifies with the pursuit of being the best. You should never apologize for expecting to win. You should take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm, that's good. Yeah, I think everyone on this, you know, these podcasts could take home with that and say there's nothing wrong with trying to be the best and reach for it. But I think there's there's a good way and a bad way to do it. And then if I was to leave you with one last piece, I'd say do mortgages. You know, it's the space we're in. I think there's a lot of noise and people get confused with, you know, cross-selling, different products, all kinds of stuff that's out there. You know, there's so much stuff that there's just so much noise out there in the place right now that I think that just if you just do well what you're doing, which is mortgages, you take care of your clients, your family, your friends, your contacts. It's a pretty pretty great gig. I'm enjoying it. You'll make a lot of money. You'll have a lot of friends, but just focus on what you're good at. And, and you know, the reason we're here is because we believe in the mortgage brokerage community, and so that's what you should be doing. Awesome, dude. I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I mean, scottwesley.ca is the uh, the DLC uh, website. Scott at denovagroup.ca is my email. You can Google us. We're out there. I mean, we're happy to take a call. Or- Are you guys hiring? Yeah, we're always hiring. But I, I say that with a little asterisk. We're always hiring, but we're hiring the right people. So if someone wants to, uh, if someone's in this for good, they're not part-time, they, they want to change people's lives, do, do good deals, be happy, have some fun, make some money, and, and, and reach for the stars. And yeah, we'll hire you for sure. If, you, if you're not that, then... Uh, don't call. <laughs> Don't call us. Okay, cool, man. Well, hey, anybody listening who's going to get links to everything we talked about in the show notes at lovemortgagebrokering.com. Scott, I appreciate your time today, man, and I hope you continue to crush it. Yeah, you too, man. You're doing a great job. appreciate all you're doing giving back to the community, so keep it up and have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.